like an animal, talks like an animal, must be an animal. Come here, the animals, talking animal, talking animal. Good morning. This is Talking Animals on WMNF. Happy National Dog Day. My guest today is Peggy Hoyt, a veteran Florida-based attorney. Given that August is National Make-A-Will Month, this seemed like an apt time to speak again with Hoyt, a guest on the show many years ago, whose practice involves estate planning and a host of related areas, including pet planning that ensures animals will be cared for if their owner dies or becomes incapacitated. Additionally, Hoyt has taught animal law at the law school level. She's the founder of Animal Care Trust USA. Years ago, she wrote a book entitled All My Children Wear Fur Coats, a guide for pet owners who want to include their pets in their estate plans, and she now hosts a weekly podcast by the same name. In an unusual wrinkle to our regular format, partway through my conversation with Hoyt, I'll additionally speak with Claudio LeBay, Fundraising Public Relations Chair of Your Humane Society SPCA, also known as the Humane Society SPCA of Sumter County, who will weigh in from the standpoint of this no-kill shelter on the importance of providing for pets in a pet trust. Hoyt and LeBay know each other and have worked together, so this is all going to work out beautifully. Later in the program, I'll highlight a brand new wonderful song from the brand new wonderful album by Kathleen Edwards, an immensely gifted singer-songwriter who quit making music for several years, changing her life in all kinds of ways that included opening a coffee house called Quitters. Near the end of her new album, she sings this song for her dog, I Think You'll Like It, as odes to beloved pets go, it's truly terrific. Right now, though. Let's talk estate planning and more with Peggy with a reminder that I invite you to join the conversation by calling 813-239-9663, emailing dj at wmnf.org, or texting 813-433-0885. This is Peggy Hoyt on Talking Animals on WNF. Good morning, Peggy. Good morning. How are you? Good. Thank you so much for joining us again on Talking Animals this morning. It is my pleasure. Love to talk about animals. Great. So I feel like we have a lot of ground to cover. Plus, a bit later, as I've noted, we'll invite Claudia to join us. So let's dive right in. We'll explore some specifics in a moment or two, but let's start at the most fundamental level. What is estate planning? So estate planning is creating a set of legal directives that are either going to provide for you during your incapacity while you're still alive or provide for you and your family in the event of your death. And um, although you may have just kind of outlined the, the answer to this question, but why is estate planning important? And I guess the, the maybe larger related question is, why don't more people do it sooner than they tend to do it, as far as I know? I think that's a great question, actually, because um, why should people do estate planning? And the real reason is that if you don't create your own plan, the state of Florida has one for you. And it probably isn't the plan that you would create if you sat down to think about what your wishes were or what your goals were. And why do more people not do planning? 
That's a great question because about 70% of people have done no planning. Most people wait until it's a crisis, but I think it's primarily because people don't want to think about their own mortality. Yeah. I say people are very optimistic. They say, when I win the lottery and if I die. Right. Uh, well, yeah, I, I might even get into that now because that, that's the thing. I mean, I just wonder what you say to people that before they've actually had the good sense to come into your office and sit down and say, okay, I'm ready to create estate planning, but just more generally or philosophically. I mean, it does seem like people of a certain age or a certain philosophy kind of maintain, hey, I don't think I don't really need to think about writing a will or creating the other documents. I'm young and healthy or even I'm old and healthy and I still don't need to think about this, partly because I think the mortality thing that you mentioned. But is there anything that you can do just generally to persuade people like that that might be listening to say, well, I'll get to that when I'm closer to being ready for it or needing it? Well, it's kind of like trying to buy life insurance when you need it. Yeah. You can't get it. Right. So if you wait too long, you may not have the capacity to enter into that kind of decision making. Um, I always say that my job as an estate planning attorney is to teach people the questions that they didn't even know they needed to ask. But I also tell them that hope is not a plan. <laughs> so you really got to think about what do you want your plan to look like? And yes, you might be young. But young people suffer the greatest number of accidents. If you become mentally incapacitated during your lifetime, you might end up in a guardianship court or, God forbid, you pass away and your loved ones are not going to know how you want your assets to be distributed. I think right now, particularly, this can be really important because a lot of our loved ones are ending up in the hospital or in nursing homes. And if we don't have the proper legal documentation, we don't have access to their financials. We don't have access to their health care documents, and we can't make health care decisions for them. Yeah, well, I'm going to circle back around to that because I figured that would be yet another key element of what may have altered or shifted the estate planning landscape in, in the recent months. But let me um, go back to the thing you mentioned about questions, and let me ask you a question. So, first of all, what are some of the key questions that you would teach someone who's a, a new client what they should really be asking themselves uh, in preparation for creating an estate plan? So one of the one of the toughest questions sometimes is who do you trust to make decisions for you if you're unable to make your own decisions? Um, do you trust your spouse? Do you trust your kids? If you don't have a spouse and you don't have kids, do you have friends or other family that you can trust? That's really one of the challenges for people sometimes is coming up with who are going to be the people who will be the designated decision makers if you're unable to make your own decisions. And it's not just choosing one person, but it's choosing a backup to that person and, and maybe even a backup to that backup. So coming up with three people is sometimes hard. Yeah. And what, since we're kind of, we have a little, obviously a little more specific focus uh, on this show and for today's program. So what are some of the key elements in fashioning an estate plan strictly for humans relative to our kind of greater concerns for today to creating an estate plan that does address and include pets in that plan? 
So typically, if we're talking about um, not just protecting humans, but also protecting pets, you would want your financial durable power of attorney to include specific provisions that allow for the care of your pets if you're unable to provide that care. You might even go one step further and have what I call a veterinary power of attorney, somebody who's specifically nominated to make veterinary care decisions for your pets. And then thinking about um, what we would call a pet trust, and I know Claudia is going to chime in on this later, but a pet trust that would be created for the benefit of a pet, much like you might create a trust for a minor child um, to provide for their lifetime care. And that's the thing, I guess part of the, the reason this conversation like today can, I think, hopefully at least be so helpful is that even people who are conscientious enough to say, hey, whatever age I am, just generally, I know it's smart to get an estate plan going. They might not necessarily inherently think, okay, that plan should really include the, the two dogs and the cat or whatever their animal situation is. And so they might have a very carefully created plan that doesn't include those. And then, as you say, something happens unexpected. And these days, a lot of things happen uh, unexpectedly. So then what may be the outcome for their animals and their care and yeah, veterinary decisions and just even day-to-day who's feeding them or what's that's not spelled out. So that seems to put things into kind of a potentially fairly tricky and, and probably a, a times dire uh, scenario. Can be very dire scenario. There is um, an estimation that about 500,000 loved pets are euthanized annually because their pet parents didn't have a plan for them. Mm. And I think that we like to believe that our loved ones or our friends or our family would step up and take care of our pets if something happened to us. Um, but in some cases, it's not realistic. And um, I've seen many cases where a spouse passed away. They thought their surviving spouse would take care of the family dog, but life changed after the death of the first spouse and they no longer wanted to keep the dog or they never had any true affection for that particular dog, and and now the dog is finding itself homeless. I've also seen situations where adult kids who didn't want to have to deal with elderly mom's dog um, just opened the back door, let the dog out. Jeez. Yikes. Yeah, so again, important to say, hey, if situation A, B, or C happens, here's what needs to happen to the dog or the dogs or the cats or whatever. And I guess a key part of that is, which may help people be more receptive, I guess, to following those directives, is setting aside X amount of dollars to carry out those wishes. I think that's very important. Um, I don't think you can ask somebody to take care of your pet for its lifetime without also thinking about what might that cost to provide that lifetime care. And I talk to people about different formulas for coming up with ways to figure out how much is enough um, or how much is too much. But I always err on the side of leaving a little more money than might be necessary because you don't know what kind of emergencies your pet might have in its lifetime. But one of the rules of thumb that I give people is figure out what you spend on your pet today. Think about how long your pet might live and then give it an extraordinarily long lifetime. So if you think your dog might live to 15, let's just assume for our calculation purposes that it might live to be 20 so that we can make sure that we're leaving sufficient amounts of money, not just for everyday care, but for emergency care or 
medical conditions that might come up that we're not currently planning on. And then you also have to take into consideration what would happen if the pet you have now passes away during your lifetime, but then you get another pet. So now you have a younger pet that has a a new lifespan to consider. And then there are the people that have multiple pets like myself. So I always use myself as an example because I have three horses, six dogs, and two cats. Wow, that's quite a brood. So I guess that's quite a plan that I'm sure you've been super diligent in assembling. Absolutely, because I'm one of those people that if something happens to me, I want my pets to stay right where they are at my home, and I want a pet caregiver to move into my home and take care of my pets. And the way all of that's going to get paid for is, of course, with a pet trust and somebody I trust who's going to manage the money, somebody I trust who's going to live in the home, the pet caregiver. And then I've also created what's called an animal care panel, and that's a group of my friends and family who are actually going to oversee the pet caregiver to make sure that they're actually carrying out the instructions to provide good care for my pets. Yeah, that brings up a question I kind of hesitate to ask, but I feel like should be asked at some point is that, okay, so I've laid out my plans and sadly for this story, at least I've passed away. So over time, I, yeah, I guess I would wonder how often there are incidences of people for one reason or another, not necessarily anything nefarious, but just People's circumstances change or who knows what might all be a factor at play here. But the care that I have spelled out in my directive isn't really being provided or isn't being provided as conscientiously as I would like. Yeah, I wonder how often that happens. And B, um, what, if anything, can be done to forestall that? Is the animal care panel really the only way to preempt something like that? Well, I think first and foremost, separating the duties of the pet caregiver and the trustee. So you don't not necessarily want the same person who's overseeing the money to be the same person who's overseeing the daily care of the pets. Uh, So at least if you have a different pet caregiver and a different trustee, you've got two roles there and one can kind of check the other. The animal care panel just adds in another layer of possible protection for people that just want that more than sure feeling that they have a group of people that's going to help the caregiver if they have to make some difficult decisions, provide guidance to the trustee in terms of what is appropriate care, how much should we be spending for care, Um, You know, if an emergency situation comes up, should we rush the animal to an emergency hospital and perform surgery? Um, What kind of, you know, life-prolonging measures do we want to take with regard to our pet? Yeah. Well, again, I guess you really have to, as with other parts of estate planning, think through some difficult questions, but think them all the way through because without arriving at a conclusion that then therefore yields specific instructions, that's where we get into the, the I see sometimes dark territory. Yep. So it's always uh, the idea of planning for the worst, but hoping for the best. Yeah. Uh, this is Talking Animals on WMNF. I'm Duncan Strauss. And if you just tuned in, my guest is Peggy Hoyt, a Florida attorney whose firm Hoyt & Bryan specializes in trust and estate planning, including planning that ensures pets will be cared for if their owner dies or becomes incapacitated. Hoyt has long reflected a deep commitment to informing people about this sort of pet planning, writing a related book years ago, now hosting a weekly podcast and having founded a nonprofit organization, Animal Care Trust USA. If you would like to ask uh, Peggy a question, 
or offer a comment, please call 813-239-9663. Email dj at wmnf.org or text 813-433-0885. So you kind of alluded to this and so did I a bit earlier, but how has the estate planning world or landscape shifted in the COVID-19 area, both in terms of humans, uh, but, but also since, again, our focus today really is pets, especially regarding pets? So from a human standpoint, I think the way the landscape is currently shifting is that people are becoming significantly more aware of how important it is to have documents in place. We're busier than ever right now. People are calling to update their estate planning. They're calling to do their planning for the first time. They're calling to ask questions about loved ones who are in facilities and what can they be doing to basically help them make decisions Um, And then on the pet side, of course, if we have loved ones who have gone into facilities or into hospitals due to illness, um, what's happening with those pets and who's providing that care? And the pet sitting industry has gone crazy in, in this world now, too, because there are professional pet sitters who can actually be called upon to provide some respite care or short term care for um, families if they're experiencing um, a loved one who's out of the home for any reason. Yeah, but boy, really, you paint a picture of uh, much more, it's not quite frenzied, just much more active on all fronts. Yeah, I think we're really in a crisis situation. I, I like to say that we do two types of planning. We do preventative planning and crisis planning, and unfortunately, we do a lot more crisis planning. Right, and especially, I guess, in the last several months, it sounds like that's really kicked up uh, several notches. That is very true, and um, and of course, I'm just always acutely aware of the needs of people's pets um, because I, you know, I'm reminded every day when I look at the little faces at my house that um, if they didn't have me to provide for their daily needs, who would be providing that care? And I just want to reach out to people and just let them know it's so important to have a plan. And the best news is that all 50 states and the District of Columbia now recognize the creation of trust for the benefit of pets. You know, that's so interesting and so encouraging because one of the things we've talked about in one context or another over the years uh, many times uh, on this show is that the whole problem that legally, fundamentally, animals are considered property. So you get into some very difficult situ- situations because of that. Uh, it's, it seems super encouraging in the wake of that that all 50 states have really said, okay, well, despite that, here's let's really make sure that, that we are recognizing pet trust and make sure we do right by these, uh, by these pets. Absolutely. And I, I think it was really Leona Helmsley that kind of brought the whole pet trust thing to the forefront when she passed away and left a significant amount of money for the benefit of her dog, Trouble. Yeah. And, um, and that trust ended up in court. And, um, and I think it just made people realize that you have to think about these things. You have to think about who you're naming, who you're putting into these really important positions, um, because those are the people that are going to be empowered to fight on behalf of the lifetime care of your pet. Yeah. Well, so because of what you articulated about the way that the COVID-19 area has really affected your business, which I assume is probably consistent amongst many practices that deal with estate planning, and at the same time, because of COVID-19, a lot of people are out of work. They've lost their jobs. They've lost their businesses. So this brings me to a potentially tricky uh, question, but I think important maybe all the more so now. 
What does estate planning cost? I'm sure it can vary considerably uh, with the size and complexity, obviously, of a given estate, or in this case, how many animals there might be and what the sort of plans are involved in. Can you give us sort of a ballpark figure of uh, what somebody would expect if they say they hear this show and think, oh, wow, I, I really got to get on this. I've kind of let this go, and that's, uh, I, I see that that's uh, really taking on a huge risk. Well, estate plans do come in all shapes and sizes, and um, before I talk about fees, I want to just talk about the fact that there's a lot of people who say to me, um, Peggy, can I just do this myself? You know, can I just go online and find a form and fill it out, do it myself? And I always say, absolutely. I mean, people are certainly welcome to try the do-it-yourself route. I just don't recommend it in the world of estate planning because there's so many things that you don't know and so many pieces that have to work together in order for everything to work out perfectly. So sometimes you can spend zero on an estate plan and yet have it cost you your entire estate if it doesn't go the way that you intended. Mm -hmm. So I think it's important to use a professional And I'm a little biased, but I would, of course, say use a professional who's board certified in wills, trusts, and estates or in elder law, depending on um, your area of need. And then I think you can expect to pay anywhere from $750 for a very simple disability type plan up to thousands of dollars, maybe 5000 6000 7000 for a very comprehensive trust-based plan that might have some estate tax planning included in it. And, of course, there's probably some people listening who actually experienced some sort of cardiac arrest, uh, I think, pondering that, uh, you know, <laughs> they'd have to spend five, six, seven thousand. 7000 But I think we've already really established that there are a tremendous range of plans, and, and we haven't even had you probably describe them in, in as much detail as you could. But just the idea that multiple paths, how many years, what kind of care, uh, what kind of veterinary care you anticipate, what kind of food, what kind of other things, where they're living if you pass away. So there are so many variables that, uh, like you say, I'm might be a, a big crunch financially initially to get that plan created, but it also sounds like you know of where you speak, obviously, that if you don't do it well or you try to wing it and you might have a more com- complicated situation, the cost of you will, will probably greatly exceed even the high end of your estimate that you just gave. Yeah, I don't want people to ever be penny wise and pound foolish. I think it's a good idea to get some professional help as you're thinking about your own planning and then, of course, the planning for your pets. And really, um, planning for your pets can run the gamut. It can be everything from as complex as the plan I've created for my pets where I want somebody to actually move into my house to something that might be as simple as me saying I'm going to leave um, Duncan $1,000 along with my cat and, and just hope for the best that you're going to take good care of my cat and $1,000 is going to be enough to make that happen. Or um, in terms of working with organizations that provide lifetime care for pets, um, there's some opportunities there as well. Yeah. All right, so I think we want to try to uh, bring Claudia into the conversation, then we'll then we'll circle back to some other topics that I was hoping to discuss with you later on, including Animal Care Trust USA and your podcast, et cetera. But let's um, let's do bring Claudia in. So as I mentioned earlier, Claudia LeBay is the fundraising public relations chair of your 
and that's all caps, Your Humane Society, SPCA, also known as the Humane Society, SPCA of Sumter County. And uh, so we really want to, um, Claudia, welcome to Talking Animals this morning. Good morning, Duncan and Peggy. Thank you so much for uh, allowing me to be in the conversation. Oh, absolutely. Thanks for uh, joining us. So let's actually start off by asking you to just give us a quick nickel tour of Your Humane Society, SPCA, whatever under whatever name it's being referred to, what what sure. what is we were, it? We we just did a, a refresher, you know, of our name because of the fact that um, it got so confusing. I think even with the growth of the internet, Sumter County, there's Sumter counties in Georgia, in North Carolina, South Carolina, and so people were contacting us from other states saying, "You need to get to this intersection." And there was oh wow, Florida, and they're like, "No, I'm in South Carolina," and it's like, "Uh oh, you need to contact your local one." And then we have so many people moving into our area here. In Central Florida, that people would ask us, you know, oh, are you my, you know, I guess we're your humane society. And at that point, we said it so many times, it stuck. And I said, you know, if we're going to do a refresher to to refresh our brand, let's look at it that way and just say it's community ownership. You know, we're yeah. their humane society. Take pride in that. Your new lo- your new home. Here we are. We're yours. Yeah, it's an interesting we're approach to, uh, to for thirty eight years now as Sumter's oldest and largest no kill shelter. Wow. So as Sumter County oldest and largest no-kill shelter. Let, and first of all, just to ensure we're not being esoteric for any number of our listeners, maybe just briefly define what is meant by the term no-kill shelter. Sure. So many people think that just means 100% of everything is safe, and it isn't. It is uh, and a national standard that is uh, recognized as at least 90% or more of the dogs and cats is what they register as most typical animals in a shelter. Um, so we use that as a guideline and uh, at that you leave there alive. Um, and we're proud to say we're probably close to 98 percent. Wow. Um, but it is for animals that are healthy and adoptable. Um, and that healthy can mean not only uh, physically but mentally. So when you look at things that might be a danger to society, you know, there are times you have to evaluate those animals individually, whether they are dog or cat, um, but also to look at um, just, it's not just uh, health, but like I said, it's, it's a, for uh, aggression. You know, you have to be responsible. To yeah. And so... Again, no animal was euthanized without going through an extensive review to say, because you can't undo it otherwise. So you have to be responsible to to know what you have in your care and see and give it every option there is. Okay, gotcha. So I know that you and Peggy uh, obviously know each other and, and presumably have worked together. So in terms of estate planning, which of course obviously are our main focus for today, especially for pets, maybe you could address from the standpoint of a no-kill shelter the importance of providing for for pets in a pet trust? Sure. Well, one thing that I can say is from the shelter's perspective is we hear it so often with people who say, when I ask them, you know, have you made provisions for your pet in the event of when your passing should be that your pet outlives you? And they say, oh, I don't have to worry about that. My kids will be fighting over my pet. Well, I tell them, please, if you only knew how many times we answer the phone with people saying, my parent died, I want to give you their pet. Um, my life doesn't work. I travel. My kid's allergic. Whatever. Yeah. I'm not allowed it in my apartment or whatever. And so believe me when I say, please talk to your children. Make arrangements. If it's child number one who wants to live, if their lifestyle by the time you pass down the road uh, does not work for them, 
you have a second child or a best friend, a neighbor, someone who genuinely loves that pet, because you don't want to have to have it to the point of landing in a shelter. Not that our shelter or any other shelter is bad. It just is traumatizing to an animal who has lived in a home for so long. And then, of course, that puts greater demands on the shelter capacity to be used for animals who may not have any other options, who have no homes or no family, no, no people that they know who would be caring for it. And so, you know, that puts demands on finding foster homes. And quite often we see that in Florida, especially, and in Sumter County, we have a very large senior population. So pets often tend to be senior, too. And they live a very sedentary, quieter life than that of one filled with kids and family and growing family, etc. So they become more traumatized with a dramatic change in their life. Yeah. And I can tell you, we've, like I said, when you answer the phone, you hear it, or we have people who come to the shelter, walk in with a cat and a carrier, and they say, yeah, my mom, my mom had to go to hospice, and here's her 10-year-old diabetic cat. Okay. And how is a shelter to fit that in? First, not space. We have to make sure we have room we can take it in, because it isn't unlimited space and resources or funding, but to have an elderly cat, as well as one with medical issues. So it isn't, you know, a shelter works on donations. And so... We ask politely, can you make, like Peggy mentioned, some kind of accommodation for the cost of the care of that animal? Because once it comes in, needs to visit the vet, and especially if it has a, a, an existing condition or a senior who don't get adopted so quickly. And so, you know, the man said, oh, okay, and he handed us a $20 bill. And it's like, wow, if that's what you think it's going to take to before this cat gets adopted to cover everything. They really don't know what it takes to care for an animal. So it isn't knocking him, but it is a plan that you really need to account for all those things that come into cost. And so, Claudia, in a scenario like that and many, many others like that, uh, are the you and, and your colleagues at your Humane Society, SPCA, um, inclined to always say yes? Well, it's always based on space and availability. You know? Yeah. If it is something there that we can say. I mean, we've had people bring us animals that were so catastrophically neglected, no, no deliberate intention, but the point was their owner, who was so ill or elderly had to be moved somewhere that they couldn't care for themselves, let alone their pet. And sometimes these pets we find, we said, you please need to get this to a vet right now. They will determine if this animal should should remain uh, in the care of someone or should be humanely euthanized because some of these animals had such, such catastrophic conditions that we said it isn't kind to this animal. Now, for any animal, we want to give it that fair chance, but it's to the point of you have to balance that and say, you know, you need to really visit your vet or find a vet. We can recommend one, you know, but they really need to look at that. It isn't we're a dumping ground. Yeah. You know, they need to be kind to that animal. They need to honor their parents' wish or their child's wish, whoever it is that was in that state that needed to have that, that own that pet. But it, it is a matter of being humane to that animal to do that and to honor that person by doing it, um, you know, is to have that courage and responsibility. It is part of pet ownership and responsibility is 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 to account for them. I yeah. know when I turned 21, the first thing I did, literally, was I wrote down everything I needed to have sold off in the event of my death so that my dog and my horse were cared for to whomever I assigned them and uh, and that way they could afford their care. Wow. I imagine you were a pretty sophisticated, mature 21-year-old then to, well, to have taken that step. Yeah. 
you know? Yeah. It's my world. And so I wanted to, just like you would a child. Yeah. It's more different. It's like the same of pet safety while you travel. You wouldn't put your grandchild loose in a front seat. Why would you do that with your pet? Right. Well, let's, uh, we have a caller here. Let's, uh, let's get them involved in the conversation. Hi, you're uh, on Talking Animals with Claudia LeBay and Peggy Hoyt. Hi, go ahead, please. Turn down your radio. I think maybe you're hearing a delay. I'm not quite sure, but you are on the air at this point. I'm sorry, I'm not quite sure. Is this a question for Claudia or Peggy regarding pet estate planning? Okay, well, maybe we'll give you a chance to call back. Thank you. I'm sorry, I couldn't understand anything. Yeah, me neither. So I'm not quite sure if they intended that call for for this show or what the situation was. If, if so, hopefully they'll call back. So, Claudia, so let me ask you then where we left off. Let's say a pet owner in Sumter County dies or becomes incapacitated. Is the, your Humane Society, SPCA, kind of the automatic destination then? I mean, is that just the go-to uh, scenario for people that find themselves in that situation? Well... Not unless they're, they they had any plans written out, you know. Again, in their in their state plan, right? But it's just a matter of quite often it would be just like your uh, if you had no written plan, the state takes over your estate, and the county may come and pull your pet, and so the county would take custody of that animal because there was no one assigned to it. So unless you have something there because we typically pull out of our county facility and so if we know you know there as well as other shelters who do so the, the animal may come there sometimes um if someone else a neighbor or a friend has that we have to know when an animal would be surrendered to us we'd have to know it would under legal authority as the designated owner or uh, you know a caregiver that was assigned yeah something we always give out to pet owners especially uh, again with our community being senior um, traveling a lot and over, you know, um, we give out a pet emergency wallet card that we created. And that way, if ever they were in an accident on the road, something became of their pet and they were killed or debilitated um, and couldn't care for it. Um, we have that where the back shows the instructions, who to contact, who is the designated, have one at their home, pack to their refrigerator, have instructions ready and have, you know, uh, any provisions written out so that that pet lands a safe landing. Yeah. And so, again, we, we as any shelter, has limited space. So you can only accommodate so much. I got you. Yeah. All right. Well, Claudia, I'm going to resume speaking with Peggy. I originally was going to ask you to stay on the line, invite you to stay on the line in case there were some questions you each could address. But for, for whatever reason, your line is full of static, and we've already had kind of a struggle uh, getting through it. So I, I may not, uh, may not be able to, to keep you on the uh, 
on the air much longer if, if we still have the same kind of level of static. So let me just say, in case that's the case, this has been Claudia LeBay from Your Humane Society, SPCA, and the website is yhsspca.org, and they're also very involved in social media as well, so you can find out more about what they do and all their good works for, for many, many, many years. So uh, so thank you, Claudia, meanwhile, for uh, for so joining. Much. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm afraid we're going to have to. There's just so much static. So, Peggy, Peggy, are you still there? Okay. Well, let's uh, see what we have there. Peggy? Yes. Okay, great. So, let's, um, in our remaining moments, let's cover some other important ground that I think... Uh, some of the many things you've uh, created or had your hands involved with. So first of all, let's talk about Animal Care Trust USA. What prompted you to create it and how exactly does it work? So what prompted me to create it was the fact that there was no not-for-profit organization out there that had as its mission acting as trustee for the benefit of pet trust. So our stated mission is keeping loved pets in loving homes, and we do that by educating pet parents about the importance of pet trust and then providing that pet trustee service so that their pets can either stay in their home, they can be rehomed to what we call a forever home, or they can go live at a nice animal sanctuary, and we call that forever sanctuary, but a place where they would live out their lives with other animals, but not in a shelter environment. I see. How long ago uh, did you create Animal Care Trust USA? Uh, we were created in 2018. And oh, okay. I- I created the organization and used a name that my dad had always said if he was ever going to create a not-for-profit organization, he would call it Animal Care Trust. Okay, gotcha. And so to what extent would you say that Animal Care Trust USA functions as an alternative to hiring an attorney or a law firm such as yours? Um, it can serve in that role because we offer pet trust assistance and, um, and then we offer all of the other things. So if people are just strictly interested in doing pet trust planning, Animal Care Trust USA is their go-to resource. So you're not secretly aiming to put yourself out of business, Peggy, are you? Then? No, I'm definitely not <laughs> secretly aiming to do that yeah. um, because there's different levels of planning. So right. there's more customized planning versus what we call the Forever Loved Pet Trust, which is a trust that you can basically join, but it's not a customizable trust. Right. So, again, back to what we were talking about um, before uh, Claudia joined the conversation. If if people said, well, I, I in hearing this conversation, I really feel like I need to protect myself and my animals, but there's just no way I could swing, especially these days, hiring an attorney or a law firm to do that. This would be, it seems like, a, a pretty good remedy for, for those folks. This would be an option for those folks to make sure that they had a plan, um, might not necessarily be a customized plan, but at least a plan. And you heard how passionate Claudia was about um, keeping pets out of a shelter environment. Yeah. Well, no, that's that's just so important. And, and again, I think part of what, what's been a through line for this conversation today is that um, it's just so important in whatever way you can, in whatever uh, monies you have to put towards this to really lay out a plan so that, you know, I mean, you know, you could be a young, healthy, uh, dude and be coming back from work that day and, and someone else blows the, the red light at the intersection and suddenly 
you're not getting back home then, then to look after your dogs or whatever. So, I mean, there's just so many uh, things, unfortunately, that can happen. And if you don't have those instructions, yeah, th- those dogs in that example end up at, you know, at Claudia's shelter or somewhere else and, and it's just, or, or worse. Well, and lots of good funding sources out there. I mean, we can think about our IRAs or our 401ks as being good funding sources because when you leave those assets to charity, 100% of those assets get used for um, the charitable purposes because there's no tax due on the charitable end. Uh, life insurance is another way to fund a plan for the benefit of your pets. Yeah. So $100,000 policy, $500,000 policy, whatever you think it's going to take to provide your pets with the proper lifetime care. Yeah. So um, let's um, talk about yet another related thing that uh, you've um created your your podcast all my children wear fur coats so uh i know you it's weekly and i know that's the title but i don't know too much else about it yet so tell me a little bit about it um it's a ton of fun we talk to lots of different people um everything from people who are in the animal rescue business to the service dog business to unique products to health concerns anything related to pets or organizations that help pets um we have a different conversation every week with somebody who I always learn something new, and it's just fascinating to me. And, in fact, Claudia is going to be on in a couple of weeks, so people can look for her there. Well, that's great. So where where would people go to, uh, to hear uh, All My Children Wear Fur Coats? You can find it on buzzsprout.com or anywhere where you get your podcasts. Okay, cool. So did it start off initially having kind of more of a, a pet estate planning Focus or did it always uh, was it always as wide ranging as it sounds like it is currently? Yeah, it's always been wide ranging, and then we try to work in the uh, the aspect of planning for your pets. But I think pet parents like to have uh, various forms of information. They like to hear about what rescue organizations are doing, and I think without exception, a hundred percent of our guests have agreed that planning for your pets is a very important thing to do. Wow, so that's great. So, uh, and, and if you said this, I missed it. But how long ago did you start it? Oh, I've been doing the podcast now in one form or another for more than eight years now. Oh, wow. Okay. Jeez. So uh, we've should... been on a couple of different platforms. You know, things change over time. We started yeah. out on Nature's Channel, and um, and now we're on Buzzsprout. But uh, we're out there trying to just keep talking about all the wonderful things that happen in the world of pets. Yeah. All right. So we're sort of in our final moment or two uh, of this conversation, Peggy. So anything that we touched on or didn't touch on that we should really um, make more uh, specific or add any details that may have been lacking uh, just in our kind of bouncing around from thing to thing and from Claudia and back and uh, phone trouble there for a moment. Anything that we uh, really should be sure to mention or just uh, under underline? Well, what I'd like to underline is that I think um, people who truly love their pets want to make sure that there is a plan for their pets. And I think that after the lifetime of the pets, once the pets are fully taken care of, that um, charitable organizations are probably going to be your best choice as a final beneficiary. That way you're not getting families involved where they may be fighting over the money or hoping that the trust ends sooner rather than later or even putting your pet at risk so that that um, trust would end 
in a more timely manner. Yeah. Okay. Gotcha. Well, Peggy, thank you so much for joining us. We've been speaking with Peggy Hoyt. Again, her law firm is Hoyt and Brian. And so you can uh, get HoytBrian.com for that website. The website for Animal Care Trust is AnimalCareTrustUSA.org. The uh, podcast, as we've noted, can be found on uh, Nature Sprout. Uh, Buzz was actually sorry. Was it Buzzsprout? Right. Sorry, I got yep. two things mixed up there. And um, so, Peggy, thank you so much. I think there's been a lot of uh, great information. A lot of I think probably food for thought for many folks who uh, haven't yet devised their pet estate planning, but may hopefully uh, in the wake of today's conversation get started on that. So, I really appreciate your time and expertise. Thank you so much. Thank you, Duncan. It was my pleasure. Great. Thanks again. In a moment. I'll play that wonderful new song by Kathleen Edwards, a tribute to her Golden Retriever Red uh, for a two and a half minute tune and incorporates some other pretty significant elements and smiles at a common cliche that grateful adopters often say about their rescue animal. We'll hear that song in just a few moments here on Talking. And right now, though, we're going to step into the comedy corner for a classic by a classic, by which I mean Jim Gaffigan with part of a piece called Whales in today's comedy corner on Talking Animals. On WMNF. I've been trying to swim a lot, you know. You always hear swimming's the best exercise, but have you seen how fat whales are? <laughs> whales, they're like swimming all the time. It's not working, whales. Not working. <laughs> whales always kind of sound depressed, don't they? <laughs> Rejected by eHarmony. My Facebook friends forgot my birthday. Why am I so bad at hide and seek? Fish always find me. Wouldn't it be great if we found out whales were in complete denial about how huge they are? It's mostly water weight. It's a lot of water weight. Once after a show, someone came up to me, they're like, you know, whales aren't fat, they have a layer of blubber. I thought calling myself Big Bone was a (laughs) cop-out. Blubber? That's like the opposite of muscle. It goes like muscular, tone, flabby, and then like a mile away is blubber. (laughs) Fat made a noise would be blubber. Damn you, Plankton, you don't even taste good. Plankton, that can't be that high in calories. That's got to be frustrating for some whales. All they eat is plankton. I'll eat plankton. You know, the fish are like, and cupcakes. Just plankton sprinkled on pizza. It's mostly water weight. That was Jim Gaffigan with part of a piece called Whales, taken from his album Mr. Universe. Now it's time to hear that new song by Kathleen Edwards I've been telling you about from her album Total Freedom, out less than two weeks. This is a musical nod to her dog Red, and there's certainly a great deal more to it than that. Here's Who Rescued Who on Talking Animals on WMNF. I picked you up on the other side of the river Dogs and alcohol, they go so good together.
Kathleen Edwards from her brand new album Total Freedom with Who Rescued Who. I'm Duncan Strauss. You're listening to Talking Animals. Coming up at 11 on WNF, it's Rob Leroy with Radioactivity. Followed at noon by Midpoint with Nola Lelay. Then at 1 p.m., the music kicks back in with 360 Degrees of Blues, hosted by Harrison Nash. Followed by Scott Ale in the All Souls edition of It's the Music. Music programming continues from there into the afternoon, the evening, and beyond here on WMNF and streaming live at all times on WMNF.org. So we have just about reached the end of today's edition of Talking Animals on WMNF Tampa. I invite you to return next Wednesday at 10 a.m. for another edition of the show. So I invite you to visit TalkingAnimals.net for audio archives of every show we ever broadcast. Apple Podcasts are available there, too. Links to our social media, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, etc. That's all at TalkingAnimals.net. Thanks very much for listening. I'm Duncan Strauss. Have a good week. Be kind to animals. Be kind to others. Be kind to yourself. Stay tuned for Rob Laurie coming up after NPR News headlines. This is Talking Animals on WMNF, Tampa, Brandon, Clearwater, Largo, Wikiwachi, and beyond. Thanks. <laughs>